Yo, 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 welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. I am Jacques Slade. I am the degenerate of the group. I am the bad influence. I am the person you should ignore when you hear this voice, but I am happy, happy, happy uh, that we are back. Took a couple of weeks off, you know, with life things, but we're back. And when I say we, obviously, I don't mean me and my multiple personalities. I'm talking about the legendary Tiffany Beers and the legendary Nick Ingvall. Nick, go ahead, tell them where they can find you. <laughs> uh, Nick Ingvall, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L, across all platforms. Uh, I don't know, I'm just happy to be back talking to my two friends here and uh, hopefully going to learn some stuff tonight. But uh, Tiffany, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, I have to admit, I'm the reason we were offline. I had to make a trip to Asia, but uh, I'm super excited to be back. I've missed these guys. I've missed you guys. I can't wait to answer your questions and we need more questions. But my name's Tiffany Beers. Um, I was in, I worked at Nike for a while, did some shoes, did some things, you know, you know. So humble. Back to Jacques. <laughs> so so humble so humble like like if i if i wake up early in the morning and make myself breakfast i'm talking about it on twitter you know what i mean like you <laughs> you know you do some amazing things and be like yeah i'm just i'm just tiffany yeah and i'll be like i made breakfast this morning my eggs had spinach in them and <laughs> <laughs> but all right, I mean, all right, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, you're, you're just Tiffany. Um, all right, well, let's kick this show off with uh, some auto news and sneaker news, which is uh, really up Nick's lane more than it is mine. Nick is a big car guy, for those of you guys that don't know. Uh, if you want to talk cars, make sure you hit up Nick, and uh, he'll be able to go back and forth with you. If you hit me up about cars, uh, I'm just going to forward your request to Nick. So um, <laughs> don't hit me up about cars. And t- and Tiffany races cars. Okay, so really, the other two people on the show. Again, I'm not the one to listen to. It's the other two people on this <laughs> podcast. I'm just just proving, a, proving my own. There's a pattern for Proving me. my own points here. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying proving my own point. Um if you uh, happen to catch the the unveil of the Tesla Model Y, which is a crossover SUV, an electric crossover SUV that's uh, supposedly going to be released in 2020, you may have noticed that Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, had on a custom pair of Air Jordan 1s. Um, and they were <laughs> a little bit over the top. Um <laughs> Let's see. What does this say? It says the um, they had the company's logo was laser cut and embroidered on the toe box in red metallic leather to match the quarters bold swoosh. Bold swoosh is a good way to put it. Uh, had a mixture of python and pony hair, and the laces were swathed in a rich horween leather. Um, it looks like there was leather on the liner as well. Um, yeah, I mean, they they fit. I guess they fit Musk's 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 personality. <laughs> um, they were uh, Nick. Who was the guy that designed them? I can't. What was his name? Uh, it was Demarco Customs, I believe. Um, Demarco Customs. Yeah. Yes. I, I think it, I think it's cool um, to see customizers getting the opportunity to do this kind of stuff. I think it's you know. W- 
it was a little over the top because I guess like Elon Musk, everything he does is over the top. But like he did like this karate thing to show the shoes, which was, I, I don't know. It was just interesting, I guess. <laughs> but I think it's cool to see, uh, you know, because I look at it as like, this is kind of just the evolution of the, you know, mainstream influencer world, right? Nike would love to have the product placement. Jordan brand would love to have the product placement to have this anyway. So it's cool that somebody else got to get in the mix and and do something. Um, It might mean that now we'll see, you know, Nike making PEs for Elon Musk in the future. But, you know, regardless of the shoes, like I don't know if I could walk around with like a big logo on the toe box of a brand that I, you know, uh, a shoe, a car that I drive, but you know, I also don't own a car company, so I don't know. What do you think about this one, <laughs> Tiffany? <laughs> I mean, all I can do is laugh. This is this is such a joke. I mean, okay, so he he cares about the environment, right? But clearly doesn't care about animals, right? If it's real python and real pony hair and real leather, like, do I need to say more? Um, we don't know if it's real or not, oh, yeah. but like if you're if you're in for the environment, be in for the animals too, right? Um, yeah. That's my first comment. I do like what Nick said about the customizers getting some airtime. I, I like that, but if I were the customizer, I'm sure they said the Tesla logo has to be readable from the ground from the, for the cameras, right? Yeah. So you can actually see it. So he had to make it as big as he could, but I don't know. I'm thinking that's not uh... comfortable at all. Not comfortable. Yeah, yeah. So to be to be fair, it says that these were actually made for Elon's birthday, not specifically for this launch. I guess he just decided to wear them for the launch. Is what I'm assuming. That makes more um, sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and um, yeah, the karate chop thing was definitely weird. The whole the whole like presentation was a little weird. Um, to be honest, but I guess that's kind of the the style of these presentations. Um, but yeah, the, the shoes, I, I, like I like the colors. They're they're supposed to be inspired by the Tesla Roadster, um, which I get. Like that's cool. Obviously, that's a cool car. Uh, but that logo is just so big on the toe. Like I would have rather they use they put the Tesla logo where like the Jordan Wings logo is. Yeah, and I think that would have. You know, been a little nicer and um, I guess a little more classy. I guess, um, and I and I, I don't want to say that to to as a reflection of Demarco's work. He does some cool. He does some really cool customization jobs. Um, but this one, the te- big Tesla logo, just was like a little. I don't know. It was very um, overt. Is the word I'm going to use? I mean, um, I. The thing about this is, like, this is just the beginning, right? Like, you know, I guarantee you every time we see Elon now, he's going to have a sneaker thing going because he realized he reached a different market and he reached it widely because this was pretty talked about. So um, yeah. this is just the beginning. I can't wait to see who else. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think... So, wait, wait. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, I, I, I think, like... You know, I don't know DeMarco personally. I, I have seen his work before, and I think he does really great work. And I, I also just noticed, like, after seeing this, I went back to his page and kind of looked around. Like, him and his dad are starting their own brand of footwear, which is, like, all handmade stuff, which I think is really cool. And to have to, to, to know that behind this opportunity is really, really awesome. The fact that, you know, from what it sounds like, Elon just decided to wear them, you know, f- for the event. 
Um, but like going back to like his d- design and having the Tesla logo be so you know like intrusive on the design, knowing that it was made for his birthday as like a gift, you probably never thought that that he was going to wear this shoe anyway, right? Like this is this sounds like clearly a, a I'm going to make this for for it to sit on the desk or on the shelf, you know, like. When I was at StockX, oh, we, right, when I was at StockX, right. we did the same thing for Dan Gilbert. You know, we made him a pair of Air, Air Zoom Generations um, to to kind of celebrate the launch of StockX, and you know, had a couple of customizers, one from Detroit, one from Cleveland, to make them. So like, there's there's like, uh, it seems like there's more of a story to it. But what I think is totally fascinating is like Elon just wearing the shoe. Like the other part of it is that it it's he's not wearing the shoe in like a fashionable way, right? Like. He's, he's like, and, and like people made fun of me for this for years, right? Like I wear jeans over the top of my Jordan ones a lot of times, right? So like you only see the toes, which in that case, like this design is actually pretty functional to have a, like from a branding perspective, right? But like to Tiffany's point, uh, I really think this is just like a can of worms that literally just exploded. And now we're about to see all sorts of stuff with these kind of announcements. Good, good effort on the branding so play, weird. but I'm not buying it. Um, <laughs> but what I do love about this shoe, though, is that shoelace. Actually, that shoelace looks amazing. Like, it's thick, shiny. I'm wondering if it's leather. Like, I'd love to see that shoelace in person. That, to me, is the star of the shoe right here. Yeah, that's a, that's a Horween leather uh, <laughs> shoelace there. I mean, that's uh, beautiful. In case you're yeah. wondering. So... Here's a quick question for you, Tiffany. From the from being on like the design side, um, are things like this, like the shoelaces, or is all that stuff kind of considered in like the pricing, or is like what you can include when you do a design? So, help me understand your question. Is is the pricing of the lace included in the design? So like, so like if you if you designed say a a Jordan one and you wanted to put oh let's put leather laces in there. Is that like a, a decision that you can make or does that have to go like to marketing or to manufacturing or like how does that work? Can, can I, I just mean, interrupt it, and pause real quick? I just I just find it totally fascinating that Jacques asking the one person who's created self-lacing <laughs> shoes about shoelaces. Okay, go ahead. I don't like this negative energy. I don't like this negative energy at all. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about the real laces. Um, no, I mean, I mean, you would... It depends on if it's a performance shoe or not, right? Obviously, you would wear test it. But yeah, the designers spec out. They spec out what shoelaces in there. And then cost is absolutely a consideration. Um, and then durability and, you know, and how easy it is to lace and unlace. The, I think the biggest challenge with changing the lace is actually how hard it is to adjust. Uh, like this one's very thick. So it was probably really difficult to actually get through the eyelets. And it's probably a total pain to actually adjust to your foot and people don't have much uh tolerance for that kind of frustration uh yes that and that is that is an issue that you have with like these when you get like leather laces or really nice laces on a pair of sneakers like the the process of lacing them and tying them is definitely a bit of an issue and i I can see that that being um yeah, that makes total sense. Like from a, from a brand side, being like, nah, like it looks great, and it, you know, but the difficulty or the, you know, the problems that it's going to cause at the, you know, for the consumer is not worth it. So that makes sense. Oh well. Yeah, I mean, I think Good just mind. laces is an interesting topic. We could probably do an entire 
podcast on it, but, um, you know, when oval laces finally came out, like oval, that shape comes untied less, right? So that's why a lot of performance shoes, you see oval laces in them, where a round lace really will come untied pretty quickly. A flat lace is not as bad, but there's people that study this stuff, like, intensely. Wow. I I didn't even think about the round oval versus flat laces. That, I'm... I've, yeah, well, we've we've all learned something today, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, <laughs> hope you guys hope hope that was as enlightening to you as it was to me. Uh, but let's keep this moving. Um, so there is uh, some more vegan sneakers on the market, which um, I'm all for. You know, trying to help the environment any way we can. And these are pineapple vegan vegan pineapple made in collaboration with Pinatex. Um, which I imagine means it's a pineapple textile because, you know, uh, breaking down words here. It's like, I feel like I'm learning how to read. Uh, a leather <laughs> alternative made from the leaves of a pineapple plant, a natural and sustainably sourced cruelty-free material. Mercer Amsterdam is the first brand in the luxury sneaker segment utilizing the specific type of leather alternative looking to further expand its options in the future. So this basically the shoe is made from the fibers from the leaves of the pineapple plant. Um, looks like the leaves are actually discarded when uh, from the pineapple harvest. So the raw material requires no like additional resources to, to grab. Um, they're bought from the farmers in the Philippines and the tanning addition that says the tanning of Pinatex consumes low water use and low production waste containing no harmful chemicals or or animal products, which is very interesting. Uh, it says, um, let me see, keep reading here. Microfiber textile gives the sensation of real leather, but is in fact a microfiber that is 100% breathable, giving total dryness with thermal cool control for optimal comfort. On Steam is made from a fully durable and environmental point of view using no real leather and or damaging chemicals in the process. So just quick question here for you, Tiffany. Um, it says a microfiber textile which gives a sensation of real leather real leather um could you explain that in layman's terms um well so a microfiber means kind of like a like mike if you break it apart micro and fiber so it's a fiber that's short right so it's a very mm -hmm. small fiber um and really all of these words it doesn't actually define it well enough to really know what they mean uh, but a, a textile, you know, is is a fabric, which means it's not it's man-made. It's not it's not made of natural materials necessarily, and that's not even true in in all cases. Um, so the fact that they say it has the same properties as leather, you know, I'm curious as to exactly what properties they're talking about. So I don't think I can actually answer your question because it's just too um, it's too vague to be honest. But I love. The whole, I love all of this. Like, this is all awesome. But as I've mentioned a few times before, I love the, re the renewable materials on the front end, but tell us how you recycle it. Tell us how you dispose of it. Because that's really our bigger issue right now is disposing of shoes versus the renewable materials. So is it recyclable or is it edible or, you know, being made out of pineapple? I don't know. Um <laughs> But I do love the fact that they've tried to make mango leather and strawberry leather, too. I mean, that I I wonder if these smell like pineapple. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. But they said they tan it, which tanning 
tanning is a pretty leather tanning in particular is a pretty pretty intense process you can look up youtube videos on it um it's very intense so i'm curious to see how they're actually tanning the um pineapple it's fascinating yeah and then, and then just to be clear for the audience like it's the pineapple leaf which is not the thing that we eat <laughs> i don't think I don't think those are the same thing. Maybe it's just the, the top that they break usually break off, the little leaves that they break off at the top of the pineapple, I'm assuming. Um, again, obviously, uh, my um, knowledge of uh, the um, physical structure of a pineapple is uh, super deep. So um, I made, made that clear. Hopefully everybody understands. But I think it's cool that they are using the like these sort of materials to help you know, help with the environment and doing and like trying different things and looking at different options. Um, it seems like a lot of this is this sort of stuff is happening a lot in the luxury market. And I, I kind of wonder what, what that is all about. Um, is it just because this stuff is well, obviously, I guess now it's more um, it's more expensive to produce just because it's so new. But it seems like this it this stuff always kind of comes from a luxury angle as opposed to like an everyday sort of angle. Although, I mean, Nike does some stuff, but like the, the food leather stuff or like the plant leather stuff seems to be coming all from the luxury market, which is super interesting. To me. I don't know. I mean, I think, but I think part of it is that you have, you have like, you know, this, this perception that the luxury market is the person that's going to pay the extra for that initial cost of new product. Right or new, you know, mm. new stuff. Um, this particular company, Mercer, you know, like did the NASA shoe we talked about, you know, last season. Um, but I think too, like the the vegan thing to me is, I wonder how, you know, after talking with Tiffany about this, you know, so many times, I wonder how the shit, how we are going to shift from what it's made out of to how it's recycled. That seems to be like that's a huge like question because like this this particular shoe is really interesting to me like if it was something that I came across in a store I'm not I mean 250 euros so that's like 300 plus dollars for a shoe but um, thankfully they don't make my size so I won't be tempted <laughs> but I, I mean I think that that kind of sh- that kind of like sales pitch I guess in in the luxury space is a little bit. I don't know. It sounds superficial to say it, but like, it seems like that's more of a thing that people want to just go be able to go out and say that they're doing rather than rather than buying something that they know can be recycled easily or turned into something else easily. And it actually is impactful, you know, on the long run for our, for the environment. It seems like it's more of just a marketing ploy, right? I don't know. Yeah, I, I so, agree. I mean, because you have Allbirds, right? And they do the exact same thing. Renewable materials, ninety-five bucks for a pair. I mean, they're not—they're yeah. not the high price point brand. Um, and they're—they're they're doing it over and over again. They have the tree shoe, the wool runner, the sugar sandal thing. I can't remember the name, but um, yeah. I mean, this is gonna get old soon. I think. I, I think maybe word is out. I don't know. I hope we can spread it more with this podcast. That it's more about how you recycle it than it is what you make it out of. And. We got to get people to start kind of focusing on that and even hyper focusing on it because you're still going to see a pineapple in the landfill. So here's 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 where um, I would argue that most people, because they don't 
I don't know if they know enough or if they just don't care. They would probably assume that because this shoe is made out of pineapple, that it's not going to end up in a landfill somewhere, that it's going to biodegrade at some point. Like even even me, so like before I talked before you told us, Tiffany, like the corn shoes, I just assumed I would assume that, oh, these, you know, eventually they'll fall apart and bio and be bio and they'll be biodegradable. Like once you get them done wearing them, they'll just fall apart. Um, you know, you just hear that there is a food or a plant, you know, plant based that you on I think the, the public perception is like, oh, or maybe it's just my perception and I'm just being totally ignorant here. Um, that it's going to that it's biodegradable. You don't. I don't think they think that. Oh, they made it out of corn, but this is going to last. This is going to be in a, a landfill for a hundred years. I don't think people think that way. Yeah, I, I think you're right. There's still a level of education to go, and at the same time, you know, I'm I'm looking at Pinatex right now, which is the company that makes the fiber, and it basically makes the material, and they do say it's a cradle to cradle material, and so short of wikipedia and cradle to cradle but that means it's recyclable um oh that's that's whether it's recyclable and our current recycling system is then becomes the next question right and i think we talked about this a few times like sure a lot of things can be recycled if you take them apart enough or if you but most consumers aren't going to do that right they they know cardboard glass and trash you know some areas do more but if it doesn't fit in one of those bins it's not getting recycled yeah, and and oh. and I would say too, like I do think that it's still important that we're thinking about, you know, cruelty-free options, right? Like I just think that, like at this point, like we don't have to like give up like so much land, you know, just personal belief, but like you don't have to give up so much land to raise cows for every product that we make, or you know, what whatever that is. Like just having other options and people exploring things is still a good a step in the right direction. Um, but it, it is awesome if this is something that can be, you know, recycled. I don't know about like the whole, because obviously with the Pinatex, they're talking about, I'm assuming the upper, right? Like the, the outsole, midsole seems to be more of traditional material, but. Yeah, they didn't really mention it. I didn't see they mentioned yeah. the midsole. Oh yeah, and that's, that. yeah, that's, I didn't even think about that. See, again, I'd have been like, yeah, it's pineapple. They make it out of the leaves. Yeah, that's, that's gonna help the world. Then the rubber, the rubber outsole will just be, you know, floating in an ocean somewhere. Um, yeah. So there you go. Tell you how much I know. Um, and this again, this is this is why uh, they have Tiffany and Nick on this podcast. Because otherwise, I'd tell you guys, yeah, go buy the pineapple shoes. It'll help the environment. Lower your carbon footprint. This is how we, this is how we help America. Um, I guess I, I have a question. <laughs> I have a question for you, Tiffany. Um, and I don't know if you know too much about this, but tanning, like, I've heard the same thing where it's just like it's a total strenuous process for, for that, the creation of leather and that um, finish that it gets. But this is kind of interesting that saying that it, the Pinatex consumes low water use and low production waste with no harmful chemicals or animal products in the process of tanning that, you know, pineapple leather. Is that, that's not like... Is that something that can be replicated, in your opinion, on other types of leathers? Well, so it is, right? So, like, um, there, there's other cleaner ways to tan leather now. And I, off the top of my head, can't remember. Okay. But I do recall Nike having, um, they have a, it's like part synthetic, part leather. 
like leather. I can't remember what they called it, but um, there are there are improved processes for tanning leather. And yes, exactly what they mention in here. It's no dangerous chemicals, no animal waste, things like that. Those are originally when leather was tanned. You got to think about it. It's a it's a skin off an animal. If you just let yeah. the skin sit there, it's going to smell pretty bad and have some other side effects. So you have to do a lot to get it basically dried out and treated. So um, oh. it's it's very intensive process to make that happen. And then if you think too, right, like a, a cow bumps up against a, a fence with the, um, you know, the sharp things and gets a big cut. That's now yep. a mark in the leather, right? I mean, this is a little bit gross, but that, that's a mark in the leather. That has to be cut out. People won't use that, right? So people like really perfect leather. It's just like the vegetables in the grocery markets. They're all like in perfect shape or form or people yeah. won't buy them, yep. right? Which is ridiculous. But so leather goes through that also. And then, you know, that when you buy leather, you're buying it by the the yard or the meter. So, and then the quality of it. So if there's like, you know, the weird little short pieces from the legs or uh, some some weird thing in the leather, then that all gets cut off to basically make as 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 shapely usable as possible so you end up with a lot of waste Uh. so yeah i mean leather tanning is improving but probably a majority of leather items that you own today are from the kind of bad chemical processes and and waste and and all kinds of stuff i visited a leather tannery one time and it was i still i still have visions of what i saw there i still have memories very very strong memories um from it it was fa- really? it was fascinating and, it, and it's an old process tanning leather is yeah. an old process so it's like how did they figure that out you know like it, that's what always blows my mind like how they figure that out back in the yeah. day um and so it's yeah really i used to watch you know i mean i still watch a lot of like going back to the start like automotive stuff and one of the most fascinating like series back i don't know how long ago it's been but like when Discovery Channel did all of those, like, American Chopper, American Hot Rod, all those things, a lot of those guys are making, like, you know, they're, they're hand-making so many of those, like, leather interior pieces or leather seats for a, for a Harley or something like that. And just watching that process was, mm-hmm. was fascinating to me. So I can only imagine, like, in person. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's great YouTube videos on it. And there's, you have to keep in mind, there's vegetable tanning, there's, you know, I I think a lot of the chemical side is chrome tanning. Um, And that all impacts the durability of the material too, right? So as you get to more environmentally friendly processes, the durability sometimes goes down, right? Because you're not impacting in the same way. So I'd love to know more about the tanning process of this pineapple, especially the leaves, because the leaves are quite small. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm trying to picture how they tan those small leaves. Like, are they splitting them in half? Like, do they have some super giant pineapple leaves that they're using? But, you know, because if you think of a cowhide, it's actually quite large compared to a pineapple right, leaf. Yeah, yeah. So their process must be quite different. Uh, I bet it's fascinating. I hope they drop a video of it. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, uh, so... So after this podcast, I'll definitely be looking up tanning videos because uh, I had no I had no idea. I honestly had no idea, and you guys have totally like changed my perspective on like maybe this is something that I should be paying attention to and, and looking. I mean, at. now that you said that too, not no to idea. cut you off, but now that you said that about like the leaf size, right? Like it's it's really interesting that it's all you know like pineapple leaves. If I remember correct, 
I well, I'm guessing they're using the leaves from the plant slash tree, whatever, that are like the long, thin, you know, like they might be six inches at max width. So that means like for a lot of pieces, it seems like they'd be, uh, yeah, it just seems like crazy amount of work. Yeah, I mean, if you go to Pinatech's website, you can see some images from it, and you can see, like, the fibers that they're pulling out of these. It's it's pretty interesting, and you're right. The leaves that they're showing in some of the images now, they don't say specifically that that's what they're using, but the leaves are much bigger and longer. So, um, fascinating process, no doubt. Like, cheers to Pinatex for developing such a cool process. That, oh, okay, now I see it. So uh, if you guys are listening to the podcast, when you have a chance, go to Pinatech, just search Pinatech in Google, and it'll take you to their website, and you can get a better idea of what, we, what we're seeing right now. It looks pretty, pretty interesting, and they do a lot of different things. Looks like they're doing shoes, they're doing bags, they're doing, looks like they're doing dresses uh, and apparel. So footwear and apparel, bags, um, watch bands, all of this from the pineapple strands or fibers looks like they're doing car seats yeah we'll, and we'll link yeah so they're doing we'll link to it in the youtube stuff. and on the instagram when we post this episode on on instagram and on youtube so i'll put it in the description also that is fascinating before we walk away from this it says right on their website it was developed over seven years of r&d that's right yeah that's a long time. I mean, the auto lacing took more than yeah. 10 years. So a lot of time and effort has gone into making this, which is, you know, now it makes sense why they're at the higher exactly. price point, right? The cost that's probably gone into this is way more than we actually think. So um, it makes me want to get a pair now to support them, right? Because it's, I think it's yeah. worth it. That's awesome. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to, I, I got to really look into this now. Uh, first, I got to look up the tanning videos because um, you guys have me like super curious about that. And then uh, I'm going to look this company and find out a little bit more information about them. It's really cool. Um, that's awesome. That's cool. Um, all right. So uh, now let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, although we're still going to be talking about sneakers, it looks like Under Armour hired a new design chief. Um, and this... This is an interesting one for me, uh, just because I feel like a lot of the conversation in the sneaker world is that Under Armour is, they're a good brand, but they just don't have the right designs. So it looks like they're hiring a new chief designer who I imagine could hope, uh, well, I hope is going to introduce maybe like a new design language. Um, and, you know, I feel in, Tiffany, correct me if I'm wrong here. I feel like the the chief designer or the whoever whoever is like the lead designer at a company is the is the one that kind of sets the tone for what designs are acceptable or what style is sort of acceptable and how and and how malleable things can be. So for for Under Armour to hire someone in this position, it seems like there or seems like Kevin, I guess in this situation Kevin Plank is really ready to make possibly shift how his company views design or how they design things. Um, it seems like someone in that position c would come in and, and almost can change the direction of a, of a company's design language. I would hope, I would hope that they wouldn't bring someone in like this to do the same thing that they're already doing. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, 
keep in mind, I, I wasn't a designer and I didn't work in a, the design org. I worked very closely with designers. So from my perspective, yeah, a designer, a design, a CDO like this, a, did they, yeah, chief design officer, he's going to come in and, and implement a new direction and maybe a new way of working, right? But he's still an executive, right? So his he's going to be managing people, right? He's going to be more inspiring and, and working with the people. So you're right that I think he probably will uh, adjust the direction if it's needed, but from my experience, you know, the 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 CDO is going to help set the direction, but not not down to each shoe and not down to each design. I don't I don't believe they should be working at that that level, right? They should be inspiring their designers to follow a new ethos or a new like vision, like are they going to go after space and NASA and and that type of thing? Or are they going to go after natural uh, yeah. materials or you know, like, where are they going to focus on? But what for sure I think you will see, but it'll take it'll take a few years to see his impact, right? Because if right. you think about the shoes that are being designed right now, we're not probably going to see those for a year to 18 months. Um, so we won't necessarily see his impact until then. But it, I think it's more about people, right? And building an org and making sure your org understands the direction and is driving towards yeah. it and they're inspired and they're excited and... You know, there's a lot of young designers out there and, and uh, a lot of great designers and they want to go to work every day being super inspired. I, I'm, I'm excited for Casey. I worked with Casey at Nike. Um, this is this. Uh, like I said, when you guys mentioned, I was like, what? That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is oh, super exciting. Yeah. And just to be clear, the, the guy, and I haven't said his name, but his name is Casey Jarvis. Uh, he used to work at this company, an outdoor brand called Black Diamond. He was the vice president of product design, product and design, I should say, for uh, Black Diamond. And prior to that, he worked for Nike and General Motors, among a few other companies. And uh, it looks like his job is going to be, uh, where is it? Um, he will be responsible for design teams across all product categories and regions and will incorporate athlete feedback and global trends into future product concepts. That was very <laughs> corporate. Um, but so, uh, but it, it does speak to what Tiffany just said, though. It says he will be responsible for design teams across all product categories and regions, not designs specifically. So he'll be, again... You know what Tiffany said. He'll be managing people and hopefully inspiring them to create crazy and incredible product, not actually designing himself, um, which is something different entirely. Um, I guess, and then that, that kind of leads me to the question. And I'll toss this one to you, Nick. Do you feel that it's really just design that's the thing that's holding Under Armour? I think that Under Armour's logo is terrible, um, but. I don't think that that's the only thing. I think that you know they've they've struggled to have like a a consistency across a lot of their pro a lot of their footwear product, right? Where you you know you you see the memes online, right? You see like a picture of an Under Armour shoe with a swoosh on it, and it's like okay, well that's better than the Under Armour logo. But taking that a little bit further, right? Like. When they first came out, let's. I'm I'm going to talk about basketball shoes specifically because I feel like their running shoes have have not really had too much change in you know in probably a decade, other than like the hover stuff. The hover stuff I think is like their first like got it right 
all across the board approach to things because it just like had this like whole vibe off across all the like categories um but what was but what was really interesting is like they they had early basketball stuff they had like a a very like let's i just call it smooth style right like a lot of the shoes had a very like jordan 11 jordan 12 look and feel to them aesthetically and you know that worked out well i guess for at that at that time because it was it was like the first time we were seeing Under Armour product on the basketball court on the pros, right? And then, then it kind of, it kind of like, it, it it held that for maybe three or four years, and and that was right as they were launching the product. But then, as the product launches, they kind of went to this like, like they had, you know, the micro G cushioning, which was great. But then they had like this like. Like they had, you know, the uh, anatomic spawn thing that was like completely different from the like the previous year's micro G stuff, and like it it looked like there was no consistency or or connection to it. Like, and I think that's something that you know, hopefully, the the quote in here is like CEO Kevin Plank promises nothing less than as a design resolu- revolution. To me, that is like making sure you know, and you know, I don't know Casey personally, but I think that as a leader, like in that space coming in and saying like, we just need to have some connectivity between these so that people can look at a running shoe and know that they can find a basketball shoe that has a similar vibe to it. Not, you know, not necessarily all the same, but at least across a certain amount of them so that you can have your crazy shoes. Right. But like, if you think about like Under Armour had like, you know, like early Steph Curry shoes before he had a signature, right? Like those crazy high tops, like where mm-hmm. it was like, well, is this, is this like a, a boot oh, yeah. or a skate shoe or what's going on here? Um, so I'm hoping that that actually, yeah. you know, that's what they're, they're thinking and their, you know, direction will be from it. Because I feel like that was where they just always seem to have struggled to have like consistency. You might find one that looked really good, you know, and obviously all of that is very like opinion based, but there was, there was def there's definitely nothing that like you could connect the dots. And I would say that primarily that only works when you're, you know, talking about the original Jordan line, right. From like ever since then, people want that familiarity that comes with, Oh yeah, it looks like a, you know, Nike shoe or it, it looks like a boost shoe or Adidas shoe, whatever. So I'm, I'm going to push back a all little right. bit on, on something you said. Uh, question do, is is Under Armour's logo really is it bad is it like I feel like that I hear that a lot people say that the Under Armour logo is bad is it that the logo is bad or is it just that we're so used to seeing Nike and Adidas and the way that those logos are styled that we just haven't come to accept what we get from Under Armour as far as that logo looks uh, I um that, that's, that's a great question. Ahead, I mean, personally, I think that if you if you look at if you look at the way that logo, for, you know, from the beginning of Under Armour, right? They made literally Under Armour. They made underwear for performance based underwear, right? Like performance based shirts, like you know, all performance, um, like apparel. That the logo was not as important on that product because you're wearing it under everything else that you're going to wear to go out and play whatever sport that you're participating in. And 
I think that from a from a, an aesthetic perspective with footwear, there's something about movement and having a flow with a logo that is just subconsciously attractive to us as human beings. And this is just totally my opinion. But if you look at like Nike, you look at the the Reebok Vector logo, you look at Asics. Um, I don't. I wouldn't even put Adidas in there because Adidas, you know, personally the logos are very like just bland to me. I think the Trefoil logo is is really dope, but as a as a like lifestyle thing. Um, but like the the brands that look mm-hmm. that the logos look like they can have motion in it to me, I associate that with performance. I don't know why. And, and hopefully I'm not the only one, or maybe it's great that I'm the only one, but that's where I, where the logo comes in. It looks very, very, very stationary, very, like, stuck, in my opinion. How about you, Tiffany? Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, what were you going to say? Well, so I think there... I'm not a logo expert by any means, you know, but when I first saw the Under Armour logo, I, I instantly thought Hurley, because it's oh, an yeah. H, like, hmm. even though it's a UA, but, like, it's so similar to the the Hurley logo. So I just Googled both, and you look at them side by side, and I think you're right, Nick. There's a flow to the Hurley logo, and nothing crosses. Like, no lines cross. And I think, like, if you look at even cursive, like, when cursive is done well, it's very careful how lines cross. And I think how the U and the A crosses is, I don't know, it's abrasive for some yeah. reason. Like. It it hmm. it also you know this I think the second thing that from from working in shoes you look at is like is the logo have any function I mean as an engineer even does the logo have any function because I have to put it on the product so if it has a function that's better so for example like Adidas is three stripes effectively you're adding that extra material which is extra reinforcer if you will if it's leather or you know mm. depending on what you use so right. it, it actually mm-hmm. sort of has a function. The swoosh, right. you know, not maybe as much. Um, but so to me, the Under Armour logo could have a, a total function to it, right? If applied yeah. correctly. But to me, they just kind of slap it on the side of the shoe as big as they can. And, you know, I don't love it at all. Um, yeah, I I don't co- at my core believe that a logo can ruin a brand, though. But... It actually, it probably can. I, I just think it's disappointing because logos yeah. are hard. You know, and I, I think the, the the good example in yeah. the Under Armour world for this is like the public opinion on like Steph Curry stuff has always been so much higher once he got his signature stuff, right? And if you think about it, they replaced the Under Armour logo on almost all those shoes with the SC30 logo. That logo looks fast. That logo That's looks beautiful. It's It's... It's the perfect blend of, of his initials and his number. And, like, to me, you know, maybe this is my nostalgia kicking in, but that logo looks like it was something that that Nike would have done. And it has that, like, player-exclusive, like, let me, like, let me really rep my favorite player by supporting this logo. And the fact that they went almost 100% with with the exception of like the outsoles I think still have the UA logo under underneath and obviously it's probably on the tongue on on a majority of them I can't remember off the top of my head but you know exterior wise right. the most visible logo on Steph Curry's shoe is the SC30 and I would argue that regardless of his you know persona and his fame and popularity those shoes are the most well re- received from Under Armour's basketball line 
Got it. It is a beautiful okay. logo. The SC. It's just yeah, really Yeah, they fun. did a really great I job think of flow that. Flow is one. a good word. I'd love to know what our yeah. our listeners think. Like yeah. Is it the logo? Yeah. Is UA? Is it the logo? Is, do they not like the logo either? Yeah, let it, let it, let us know. Uh, tweet us at Outside Pods, or leave us a comment on Instagram. Uh, that's also at Outside Pods. Or uh, if you're watching this video right now, head on down to the comments and leave a comment there. Otherwise, just hit us up on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's it's, that's a very interesting conversation because I hear that a lot. I always hear people like, "Oh, the UA logo sucks. The UA logo sucks. UA logo sucks." But that this was the first time I've really heard anyone really explain it in a way like that it doesn't flow. And hearing that, you get okay, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't flow, but it does work for underwear or undershirts or whatever. Like the whole locking you and a mm-hmm. like locking you down on the inside underneath, like that whole UA style logo works for that. But outside of that, you're just like, oh, all right. Maybe that is why it doesn't work for shoes. And like, it's kind of a it's kind of a block when it comes to sneakers. It's it's more you see it more as a block as opposed to like a line that that complements the 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 lines of the shoe. Um, it kind of works counter to the lines of a shoe. Um, so that's interesting. It's interesting. So yeah, yeah. If you guys are listening, let us know uh, what you think. Um, and keeping with the whole, the whole Under Armour thing, uh, I want to reach out about, talk to you guys about um, the world's most reputable companies, uh, because one would assume that certain companies are at the top and certain companies are at the bottom, but it looks like um, that's actually switched up just a little bit. Um, so for the number one company, at least in the sneaker category, is actually Adidas, and they're at number four. There's Rolex, Lego, the Walt Disney Company, and then Adidas, and that is a big deal. And so here, and to kind of put this in perspective as well, this is the world's most reputable companies. I think this, if this was the U.S., this list would probably be a little different, but this is the world, and Adidas sits at number four, and Microsoft sits at number five. Again, I would not picture that with i would imagine that apple would be ahead of microsoft uh but they are not coming in at number 15 is nike right behind google and right above visa and rolls royce so it's it's a really i guess it's a it's a really interesting look at i guess how sneakerheads and sneaker culture looks at look at companies and how the world at large looks at companies I just I just never imagined that Adidas would be above Nike and you know especially with the sneaker world. But when you think about Adidas and their imprint over the rest of the world, I guess it's, it really starts to make sense. Adidas is really a a big deal overseas. Like Nike is huge here in the U.S., but I think Adidas probably runs the rest of the world. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I would I would say that. Yeah, that's that's probably a, a big part part of why this is you know why Adidas is higher up on this. I'm still surprised that Nike isn't higher, um, at least higher than 15. But uh, it's actually insane to think that Apple's 57. I don't know. Uh, that's so far down. I, I right. just I have a hard time thinking of like 56 companies that are more reputable than Apple. But maybe that's just me being a fanboy. I don't know. Yeah, I'll say my, maybe my, my fan card is out. Um, 
There's lots of other companies on here too. Uh, Starbucks is at 96. That's that's I, that's pretty low to me. eBay is at 94. Um, that's that's kind of low to me as well. Um, as a camera guy, I'm excited to know that uh, Canon is at number seven. Sony is at number six. Um, so that's right up my alley uh, from a camera guy. Netflix is at number nine. So that's um, that's I imagine that's a pretty new entry. And thinking about that, Netflix looks like to be one of the few like what I would consider new companies on the list. Um, I don't see anyone else that's relatively new that's that's on here. Kellogg's is at number thirty three. Shout out to cereal. Um, I'm all about that life. Well, how about how about number sixteen? Visa. I mean, that one's super weird to me, right? They don't. Like they make credit cards, right? They they give you money, I guess, right. when you need it. But everybody else above them has a product, whether it's software or physical product. And then Visa rolls in there, which is, I think that's super interesting. I mean, they're right above Rolls Royce, which, <laughs> which is funny. yeah. And then and to follow that up, Mastercard is at thirty five, and I don't even see American Express on here. And I would assume that American Express would be higher than both Visa and MasterCard. It seems that, but maybe I'm looking at the list in the wrong way. Maybe I'm looking at this, yeah, in some way. So let me see. So to determine the list, they surveyed more than 230,000 individuals in 15 countries. Companies considered typically have revenue in excess of 50 billion, a presence in all surveyed countries and brand familiarity with at least 40% of the general population. Yeah, so I would assume American Express meets that I mean that criteria maybe visas just maybe they don't I mean Heinz wait where's Heinz on there sorry Heinz is Heinz 58th Apple is 57th and Heinz ketchup ketchup is one spot more (laughs) reputable one spot least reputable you know so if you read up earlier further in this article it talks about you know um it's all about your reputation right the the reputation based on the the stats you gave us there of the the demographics and and um amount of profit and everything Jacques so it's like okay if it starts to make more sense right if you think about scandals like sexual scandals or like did a company stand Uh, up for some of these social issues or not like I think the ones that chose to make a stand are like Lego super diverse like Lego is play and everybody you know like I think you can start if you if you read further up in the article, you can start to see why some of these companies at the top are there and why some other ones are more towards the bottom and made a stand or not. It might have worked for you, might not. But the, this is absolutely fascinating. Like if you compare this to the most innovative companies and some of these other lists, like I think it really starts to show what companies are really trying to make the world a better yeah, place. Definitely. That's a, that's an awesome way to look at it. That's an awesome way to look at it. And I, and I, I stole that out that. of the article. They actually say that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to act like you said it. And I think that's a good place uh, to end the podcast today. And I'm going to end that with asking uh, you guys, what do you guys think is the most reputable company? Let us know at Outside Pods. And what do you think is the most innovative company? Uh, let us know at Outside Pods as well. That's on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and also you can find us on the YouTubes uh, at that as well. Um, good show, you guys. Good show, good show. We covered a lot of topics. Reputable companies, pineapples, and uh, Elon Musk's custom Jordans. 
with a giant Tesla logo on it. And um, some movement to Under Armour. I really hope this, this is a big change for Under Armour. I really, like, I fight for the underdog. I really, like, I, I still consider Under Armour the underdog, and I always want them to do well. Um, so hopefully they uh, get this together. Uh, hopefully Casey can uh, step in here and change some things for UA. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is the Outside the Box podcast. Uh, thank you guys for coming back and listening. We know we were gone for a while, but we're happy uh, to be back and we'll be here every week. And we're uh, happy that you guys are listening. I am Jacques Slade. You can find me at Cousteau all over the internet. That's K-U-S-T-O-O. Uh, that's Instagram. That's Twitter. That's Snapchat. That's Bumble. That's Grinder. That's Amazon. Um, all of those places you can find me. Um, but this show would not be what it is without the other two individuals here. And I say that, um, and I say that, and I mean that. Uh, I know I joke around about it a lot, but these two bring so much to the show. And uh, really, you wouldn't want to listen to me just ramble on for an hour. So that's why I have them here because they really make this show what it is. Oh uh, well, I appreciate that, and also the same to both of you. Uh, I, I just really enjoy these conversations but um you can find me at nick engvall n-i-c-k-e-n-g-v-a-l-l on all platforms or at sneaker history on all platforms as well um and like i said i'm just i'm just love learning and and you know discovering new things on this show from shock and tiffany tiffany go ahead and let them know how they can find find you uh tiffany beers you can find me on instagram and youtube uh and also probably outside the box more than anything these days but um, I'm so excited to be back and chatting with these guys. Like, who yeah. Who gets an hour of Jacques Slade's time? I mean, on a weekly basis, right? Like, me and Nick are pretty yes. lucky. Very much so. so. Wow. 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 We need to get you back making some videos, Tiffany. I know you're busy and stuff, but we need to get you back making the sneaker videos. You are yes, definitely, definitely missed in the sneaker culture. I know. I I gotta figure out which shoes to do next. That's the big problem. I gotta come back big. You gotta come back big, come back strong. I appreciate it. I will, I want you back, that's for sure. Uh, all right, guys, thank you guys for listening. Uh, yeah, if you have anything you want us to cover, if there's um, some relationship <laughs> advice you need, I am always available to you. Um, I don't want, can't end the show without that because that's really the most important thing. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna get out of here, go get me some food. Uh, but before that, I gotta watch these tanning videos. You guys have a great day uh, if you're listening, and I'll see you guys soon. We'll see you guys soon. Peace. <laughs>